Welcome to the News Club. I'm Chad Rose. I'm JJ Artinas. And I'm Andy Kinnick. And today we're going to be talking about Hotline Miami. Hotline Miami was released in 2012. It was developed by Denaton Games and published by Devolver Digital. Uh, it was originally released on PC and eventually, over the course of the next, like, I think, like two years, uh, came out on really a whole bunch of stuff PS Vita, PS4. Uh, I feel like there's an Xbox release. Uh, there was not. <laughs> it does feel like there should be, though. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it does have no SX release, uh, which is odd, so that's what you played it on. Right. Uh, so that was a year later, they finally ported it to Mac. Uh, but the big thing really about this game is that it's, uh, like a super violent game about murdering people. <laughs> and it's one of my favorite games, like, ever made, mm-hmm. and I'm, my goal is to, by the end of this podcast, not seem like a sociopath. So... <laughs> Well, there's a couple of easy routes out of the sociopathiness that you could take. Right, I could say, like, the violence in this game really got to me, and that I felt kind of bad about what I was doing during mm-hmm. the parts that the game wanted you to feel bad. Uh, but I didn't really. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. <laughs> it's also, like, hyper-stylized and not realistic at all. Yeah. So. That's a... Not like a murder simulator. <laughs> yeah, this is like... There's a a world of difference between this game and Manhunt, which I feel like is, like, another game that really uh, revels in its violence in a way that uh, most games don't. Like, a lot of games, I would go so far as to say most games contain violence, but games like these really, like, are about the violence, like, the violence is really sort of the, the the focus. And it's pretty evident, like, from the very beginning of the game, where they're just, like... Like, the first line that comes up on screen after you hit start game is, I'm here to teach you how to kill people. It's, like, it's very... Like, there's no uh, ambiguity yeah. about it. Most of the time, when you're going around things in the medium... Violence is always like a tool or a means to an end or a way so that you can simplify narrative conflicts. So you, you can do the same violent actions over and over again. And it's really convenient for that, as this game also shows. But that doesn't necessarily make games about violence. Like Especially when you look at the, the ways things get painted over top of the actions that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like the, the number of different shooters in which you're given some kind of like wholly necessary justification to try and abstract away from how much fun you're having shooting people in the head over and over and over again. Yep. Yeah, I wouldn't say this game is like meta about that kind of a thing necessarily, but it doesn't uh, try to like sidestep or cover up the fact that you're just murdering people. (laughs) Yeah. The entire plot, in fact, is based around... This organization uh, called, if I'm not mistaken, they're, they're called like the 50 Blessings Organization or something. Um, and you're uh, the protagonist of the game, uh, who the community has taken to just calling Jacket, uh, sort of just, he joins, but maybe of his own volition, maybe due to some like other bizarre reasoning. 
and then is just sent to go murder a whole bunch of people. And at no point does the game give you that justification other than a voice on the phone (laughs) tells you that you need to go kill these people, and so you do. And, uh, like, yeah, I, I feel like that lack of justification is sort of what the game is about, which leads into... One of my my issues with this game is that the game came out with this like it, it, particularly if you get like the, the like at the ending and they call you out and you can ask them like do you think this is a game and they're like well d- don't you <laughs> games uh, oh you mean you mean yeah. the, the the meta of the two endings right okay so well the meta elements of this game are sort of, I think, what the developers were going for, at least in uh, at the basis level of their actual narrative that they wrote. And I feel like any level of, of meta-commentary or satire really just doesn't work in this game in the way that maybe it could have. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it would have ha- the plot would have needed to be more, like, fleshed out for that to, to land. Because, like, they're really is barely any plot until, right. like, some stuff at the end. And it's all very purposefully obfuscated. So, like, at the... Having played... I've played this game uh, a lot of times now. I have, like, 32 or 33 hours on Steam of, of this game. It doesn't take a whole lot of time to complete, so you can extrapolate that into many playthroughs or may, many playthroughs of just individual levels or whatever. And I really don't, like have a full grasp of what's going on in the game most of the time. Uh, And even now, like, I'm not 100% sure if the protagonist of the game that is alive at the end of it is Jacket or Biker. Like, I honestly don't know. If you infer things from Hotline Miami 2, then Jacket is the survivor, in which case you can't actually accept anything that Biker does at the end like the two janitors might not have actually even been behind anything because they're not uh like a relevant part of jacket's playthrough except for like the occasional cameo in a level Mm -hmm. and that could just be his delusions which we've definitely seen he's kind of an unreliable uh narrator not really never really says any words but yeah (laughs) lens into the game world yeah viewpoint but I know nothing about Hotline Miami 2, but I know that Hotline Miami 1 doesn't really care uh, about that. As, as you've pointed out, uh, anything that would have like gotten in the way of you getting to that violence and that gameplay loop faster gets just hacked off. <laughs> like at The only times that this game even feels the need to like stop and let you take a breath in between your like violence loops... Uh, are just mostly things to confuse you. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. And even those are always very brief and normally repetitive enough that you rush through them, especially before multiple playthroughs. Uh, uh, on my first playthrough, and this is going to sound very unlike me, uh, during those like, intermission periods uh, where I like, where you go like, talk to Beard and get like a pizza or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, I did, like, explore, like, I would always look around to see if there's anything else in, like, the convenience store or pizza shop that I was in. There never is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did the same thing. There's, when you're in a bar, there's a guy, like, vomiting in a stall, which is, like, 
kind of amusing, but it's also just background detail. So, but yeah, for the most part, it's it's not anything that uh, uh, drives the plot along in those uh, little middle sections. Yeah, it's just something that's like makes it a little more immersive, I guess. In terms of plot relevance, or the way that the, that those sort of down moments make you feel, nothing was more significant than the pauses after the violence loops when you when you leave. Brief as those always inevitably are, until the later levels that have like a million trillion different zones <laughs> in them. Uh, but those are the pauses that I think the game is best at, at least for someone like me who has never been much of, like, the, the 2D, twitchy sort of... I don't really engage with that gameplay style. Even switching back to things like the 2D Metroid games like Fusion, I've always had trouble really having, like, fine control and agency over a character like that as much as games in the genre seem to expect you to. Uh, Man, have I got some questions for you. <laughs> I, I have a feeling you're going to get those answers, too. I'm, I'm glad. Yeah. yeah. But... It was always when you're running around like that. Uh, I d- I engaged less with the core loop comparatively. It was still great and well executed, but what I'm always going to look back on as my favorite moments playing through Hotline Miami is always going to be the interlude after everyone is dead, when the music just sort of does its ominous hum, and you get into your car and drive away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's sort of. Uh... Yeah, I know I have a note on this. Uh, <laughs> you apparently have a note on everything, so... Yeah, this is true. I, was I, say, I thought that it was really smart how one of the first couple of levels has more people show up on your way out, yeah. which always made me, like, paranoid that that was going to happen again, <laughs> and it doesn't until, like, one later level when it, the SWAT team shows up. It's a great way to make you still feel like you're embodying that circumstance Mm -hmm. because after everyone's dead like the game until those things happen don't doesn't really have any implied pressure that you should be like getting the fuck out of there yeah it's almost like you feel like the adrenaline rush that the character probably has and then afterwards is when you actually feel something yeah right it's kind of like putting you in the character's shoes a little bit yeah it forces you to to ruminate on the violence because when you're actually going through the level uh, initially what you're seeing are like colors and uh, like a vague idea of where you're actually moving and like the score multipliers come up and like flash in multiple colors and everything's very bright and the music is just fucking bumping in your ears and you're like, oh, I gotta get... And then when you finish, it all cuts and then you just have like dead bodies and it starts to... Because this game actually, it's like extremely graphically violent. Like, they put almost all of the detail that they put into the graphics, which is very little, was adding things like chunks of brain into the blood and matter that right. that hits the walls and, like, uh, the parts of people's bodies that you cut off and shit. Like, it's... They made it a point to make the implication of what the, like, lo-fi graphics are showing you to be as... Like graphic and horrible mm-hmm. as possible. Yeah. This graphic is like a 16-bit art style to get. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we even like uh, in some areas uh, in the later games after you st- later game after you start your hallucinating, 
uh, and also in a few like select little like cutscene moments and levels, they'll show like a portraiture of a character, and like they'll just be like their jaws cracked in half and like their eyeballs bleeding, and you're like, Ugh. <laughs> that's when it gets to like really revel in it, I think, okay. and uh, it's all just there to make you feel uneasy. Like you're supposed to have this loop of feeling like super pumped and excited, and then super uneasy and contemplative and while i think it hits you really hard especially the first you know so many times that it happens i don't think that it succeeds in making like any sort of cognizant statement it just sort of is and i feel like the tone and the feeling it's trying to get across are, are really well executed i feel like the plot elements that lead you like that want you to actually think about the game Aren't. Yeah, the game has those pause moments, not even necessarily, I don't think, and I, I mean necessarily very strongly in that sentence, mm-hmm. as a judgment of the violence. It is just the game putting the violence in your face, and there's too little text in there for it to be really clear what the developers or anyone else who had an involvement in this really thought about violence in games or what you're doing. Right. It just made it real goddamn clear that all you're doing is violence. Uh, and that was I'm glad you brought up the art style, Andy, because this is one of, I think, the best uses of pixel art I've seen in a long time. Uh, not like in terms of the, the pixel art being like incredibly beautiful or anything. I meant just like the style of pixel art, because it's only an art style that abstracted like that, and an art style that closely associated with like old-timey video games. That it makes it a lot easier for your brain to go through that switch between the violence loop and the pause. Because when you're in playing the game, when you're cracking skulls and such, it makes it a lot easier for you to look at what's going on around you as just mechanical systems, like timings in which people walk around. You're just dealing with the adversaries in front of you like video game enemies. And it's only after everything's gone and there isn't anything like systematically opposing you anymore when you can zoom out enough like the pixel art is abstract enough that you can not care about the gore when you're the one running through and trying to beat the level but detailed enough that after everyone's dead you can finally get like a full pixel uh, a a full (laughs) pixel (laughs) a full picture of what you've done Uh, pixel perfect picture yeah (laughs) it straddles the line like Almost perfectly. It's a it's a great way that they were able to make use of that art style under their limitations. Mm. Uh, one other thing on this note before we switch it up and maybe talk about something a little bit different is I feel like the comparison. I'm actually kind of surprised that you hadn't brought it up yet because this is sort of what I was thinking about on my most recent playthrough of the game. Uh, the comparison that I think is sort of unavoidable is. Uh, is to spec ops the line mm-hmm. because especially if you add in. Uh, context from Hotline Miami 2, which, uh, unlike with, like, the Metal Gear podcast or whatever, I'm not, I don't have the familiarity with the second game to actually interject it that much, um, but the context provided by it is that your character does have PTSD, so it's almost the exact same device being used in both games of, like, this mental illness and, like, a, uh, like commentary about like the the player playing games, violent games and enjoying it. It's just like man, do spec ops do this way better. 
Yeah. In like every yeah. way. Well, it's because Spec Ops had a, a message that was more than just mechanical. Like, as we were just describing, the game makes it really clear that I was talking about violence, but I didn't particularly say much about violence. Like, it's completely consistent with the text, I think, that yeah. I could walk up and meet these people, and they could just be like, oh my god, this is so cool. <laughs> like, not judgmental one way or the other. It's just the text of Hotline Miami is completely consistent with that. Uh, but we, the whole point of Spec Ops is to make a specific message about the violence that you're going through. Right, where the mechanics kind of even suffer for it. Yeah. Yeah. Everything yeah. was made to suffer in Spec Ops, including you, in, right. uh, over time, in order so that you could understand the point. But Hotline Miami instead prefers uh, to just give yeah. you the flash and the color. Uh, right. and yeah, and then they tacked on, like, a narrative, like a half-assed <laughs> one at the end, it feels like. I read something... I, well... Okay, putting a pin on this, I read something really interesting about one way that we might might approach the narrative of mm-hmm. Hotline Miami, depending on what you mean by the end. Like, in your mind, no, I meant like the at the I meant off? like at the end of the development, they were like, "You want to add a story?" It's kind of like what I meant, and I was just kind of being like exaggerating. I don't know. I know what you mean, but I think. It's possible that a lot of the half-assy elements might be intentional. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that comes to mind specifically is the ending that isn't meta, the like secret, super secret Uber ending, uh-huh. and how completely lame that is. I got that for the first time, because <laughs> uh, I never bothered with the puzzle pieces until this playthrough. Uh, yeah, not super satisfying, I gotta say. No. <laughs> it's not really news. <laughs> I, I assume you've seen and agree. Uh, Chad told me about it. I didn't actually watch it. Okay. But yeah, I would agree. I It's not clear to me that, that the game actually wants you to take that seriously. I think there's a chance that maybe you go through it the first time, because of course you did go pixel hunting on your first playthrough, and at the end your of it... seventh or your eighth playthrough, or maybe your ninth playthrough. <laughs> <laughs> the game tells you, oh, did you like this game? And then the character inside is still looking for answers, uh, which you may or may not be. It's sort of an open question, depending on how you've gone through it. Yeah, it's super clear by the end of the game that the, the janitors are self-insert characters of the two developers of this game. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh, yeah, they give you sort of like uh, like a, a a cheeky fuck you at the end, also a literal fuck you. I think they just tell you to go fuck yourself at one point, <laughs> uh, and then you cut their heads off and you walk out. Like the ending of this game, regardless of which one you get, doesn't explain anything and doesn't intend to. Yeah, it just I think it did such a good job through the game design. Of making you like feel the kind of things they wanted you to, and asking yourselves the kind of questions they wanted you to, and that, and I think that's all the game needed. And then they like try to put this narrative in there that's like very half baked and doesn't really add anything. And I think it would have just been better without it. I think because of the way the game keeps prompting you to have these questions that it doesn't really seem to think like it has answers to or even want to present answers right. to. Once you get like the shitty conspiracy theory ripped straight out of some kind of you know B movie from the eighties or something. Mm-hmm. The idea is that you're supposed to be like because you only get that full the fullest context that the game provides if you've put in like a stupid amount of work 
in order to have to get it. Like literal tile puzzles and looking for purple things and all this nonsense. Well, you don't really have to do a tile puzzle. Just for the record, like if you just slide the letters into the slots, mm -hmm. if you get, if it's like around where it should be, it just locks in. Oh, I like that less. Yeah. So, well, yeah, they don't even want you to do a puzzle. They just like pick up the stuff you get the secret ending. Yeah. You have to remember to press the escape key and click on puzzle mm -hmm. and then do that. Before you get it. But there's no way you'd be able to solve that scramble. It doesn't make any sense. The the uh, solution is I was born in the USA, <laughs> which is ostensibly a... Uh, uh, who's that guy from New Jersey? The boss. There's a lot of people from New Jersey who are bosses. He's a, he's a rock musician. Still a lot of people. Uh, Br uh, Bruce, Bruce Springsteen. Springsteen. Ah. It's ostensibly a Bruce Springsteen You should have just lyric. said, who sings that song? <laughs> right, yeah. And I would have just been able to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that guy from New Jersey? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> well, there are only two guys from New Jersey. Bruce yeah. Springsteen and... Uh, Bruce Willis. There are only two Bruces from New Jersey. <laughs> okay. But I think... After you've worked that hard and they give you, like, just the biggest anti-climax of bullshit, mm -hmm. I think you're, the game is, like, implicitly wanting you to go through the credit sequence this time thinking, I kind of liked the answer better when the game just told me it was a video game. Yeah. I, I feel like the narrative, it does add something. It's just the ending doesn't add anything to it. Yeah. Like, it doesn't, the, it doesn't resolve in a way that's satisfying. What it does do is make the every time you go into a new location and every time that you come back out of it, you get you're you feel as though like maybe I'm getting closer to an answer, and then like you get redirected into a different uh, thing entirely, and you're like, well, maybe this is the actual thing. So it's just supposed to sort of make you confused, which is kind of how the player character is supposed to feel, and so. I think that's the the whole through line. The only like really positive element of the narrative I think is that there is actually like a you can watch your apartment as it like mm. slowly becomes like filthier and then you get the girl from mission like 5 or 6 or whatever it was mm -hmm. and she comes back and then like the apartment spruces up and then she gets more and more comfortable and then is murdered. So there's like a an actual through line that you can follow that at least shows you the passing of time, mm -hmm. uh, but all it doesn't it doesn't amount to much. Yeah, that was my favorite part of the way that this game tried to do story as well. You can see like the up and down turns in this guy's life just through the like subtle changes in how his apartment goes. Each individual difference in between each mission is subtle, but the changes overall are really stark. And it was a good way for a game that clearly didn't have a lot of time or even desire to invest in some kind of narrative right. to allow you to attach on to a relationship with kind of minimal effort on their part. Also allowed them to have that awesome hospital level, which was really good. Mm. Uh, and also that one scene where you rip your head off right before that level, which was also <laughs> great and wouldn't make any sense. Well, it doesn't make any sense now, but it wouldn't fit contextually in a game that didn't have a narrative. Yeah. I liked all that, like subtler storytelling a lot and I just kind of wish they wouldn't have tried to like give an unsatisfying answer at the end like wrap things I think up I wish they would have just left me confused right if Jacket's story ended with the guy at the top of that uh, building shooting himself in the head or being shot in the head rather mm -hmm. uh, 
and then you just don't have like a Matches you don't really know who he is or mm-hmm. what like what his involvement was and then the credits rolled that would be fine yeah i feel like i would have liked something like that a lot better yeah that being said i also really like the biker levels but i like yeah. everything about this game mechanically so uh i like the contrast speaking narratively here that introducing biker presents to you i like that you spend the whole time playing through this game essentially just as a game because you're not told enough to to engage with it as a narrative before then. And then after you're done with all of the jacket levels, you start playing as another guy who like has multiple choice dialogues and seems to actually be wanting to do shit with his life. Like he's actually questioning what's going on. Super uh, embarrassing sidebar. Yeah, I actually didn't know that he had multiple choices. I thought he was saying both things every time because I never during the main game, put my cursor over the text. Ah. So whenever it would come up, I just clicked through it, and I guess I was just choosing the first option every time. I did that the first time it popped up, and I was like, wait a minute. Was that, were those two? Yeah. I didn't even think that there would be uh, dialogue options in yeah. a game like this. I think you can be forgiven for that. Nah. Maybe not as many times as you played it, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's, been a lot, it's been a lot of times. Yeah, uh, but I agree with you about the ending to Jacket story specifically, there's a way more like intense version of Hotline Miami that I think I would have preferred. Is there? <laughs> Not in terms of mechanics. More <laughs> like like mechanics in terms of the way that it presented itself at the end there. Because this game doesn't end on a violent note. No. It ends on a like of like meditative single puff of a cigarette flicked out into right. you know the sky and or alternatively just in a guy riding a motorcycle over the credits right like there is a version of this game i think where you play as jacket and you don't have you have your agency taken from you way way less like imagine how the final sequence with the old guy that you know nothing about could have played out if instead of you walking through and getting presented with a whole bunch of on-screen text the text just keeps going up and you maintain control of the character can just shoot him at any time you have the option to just kill him yeah yeah uh, given how little I like that boss battle, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> the boss battle with the boss. Uh, he has the boss, right? Is there any other I would, way? Uh, I, nobody, uh, as far as I know, nobody has ever uh, like given him a fan name or something like the rest of the characters. He, I believe, if anyone does, they call him like the old man. Because yeah. he's the only old man in the game. Yeah. The contrast between the... Uh biker and jacket kind of make me wonder if they're going for like a uh like if jacket is just like on drugs how so because like well it has like that like miami vice 80s kind of look to it and i feel like it it's tapping into that like cocaine like 80s fever dream kind of thing oh yeah aesthetically that's goddamn all over the place yeah, so, if i remember but, correctly there is doesn't biker actually like have a fucking party in one of his intros to one of his levels. I remember there being a ton of people in his house one time when you leave it. And I inferred from that, like, oh, just some wild like he, shit was going yeah, down. Yeah, like he had had a in party the, the night before. Yeah. I think that's what they were going for. I just, Probably, I have yeah. to wonder, like, the reason that he's, like, not questioning anything, or Jacket's not questioning anything that he does, if it's just kind of like, well, he's always, like, high or, like... Well, Biker has, uh dialogue right whereas right. jacket does not however you could totally presume that jacket just has unheard dialogue like people hear him but right. you don't um, like a link kind of a thing right 
Uh, Jenny does a lot like Link. You know, you get the yeah. hook shot. You, uh, <laughs> um, but realistically, I think it's not drugs necessarily, or if it is, it's not. Uh, they're not recreational. Right. Uh, he is the the implication is that like the three characters that you see during the uh, like. Intro and then some of the other sections after that. Don Juan, Richard, and who's the third mask? You're talking about the animal head people, yeah. right? Because I have not it's memorized chicken, all the human the names horse. for the masks. It's the and chicken the owl. and the owl, which is Rasmus. There you so uh, those three characters all uh, don't exist. Like they're pure hallucinations. Like parts of his psyche or whatever. Right. At least that's uh, my interpretation. I think. The, like, generally accepted fan interpretation uh, is that those characters aren't actually real and they're more voices in his head. Right. And he's supposed to be, like, sick, but in a uh, long-term way. He is involved with this company, but he's not, uh, like, fully in control, or at the very least, he's got, like, some significant malaise. Mm Mm-hmm. Who knows? Uh, I might have a couple of things on the presentation here that we can get into before we take a break, and then I uh, bust everybody's face open with a baseball bat. Fuck! Oh my uh, god. So, uh, you bring up the, like, 80s culture and, and like, potential cocaine uh, implications, mm-hmm. uh, which is, like, a definite inspiration for, for, for the aesthetic of this game. Um there, there are a couple of things I thought about. The one thing that everybody likes to talk about uh, in this game is the fact that the creators themselves have cited several films and uh, albums and whatever as inspiration for this. But like, you can pretty much narrow it down to uh, 80s action movies, which are ridiculous, mm-hmm. like John Woo movies and stuff, all the way up through like modern-day movies... Set in the eighties, like Driver, uh, your yeah. Drive, it's drive. just Drive. Yes. Yeah, not you're thinking of Taxi oh, Driver. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm not thinking of Taxi Driver. I'm thinking of the game Driver. Oh, there you go. <laughs> like Driver but, San Francisco. Like Driver San Francisco. Is that is, it, is Driver San Francisco taxi. the sequel to Driver? Or I think it was a... Driver, Driver Two, Driver Three, and then San Francisco. If I'm not mistaken. Okay. Um, or maybe San Francisco came before Three. Not important. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, all of that thing, all of those, those movies sort of influenced the uh, aesthetics, and not only that, but, like, how, like, your character just sort of, like, flies through levels like a, like a fucking action star. Because the, the trick with this game, and one of the things, I wish it had, like, a Meat Boy-style ending thing where it showed mm-hmm. your runs, mm-hmm. because every run is, like, trial and error going through. And we'll talk more about that in the when we actually talk about how this game is set up mechanically. But the one run where you succeed is, like, the most badass thing imaginable. <laughs> where you just, like, fucking bust down a door and, like, run in, slap two people in the face, kick a dude's head in through the wall, shoot a gun through a door into a second guy... <laughs> Throw the gun into another dude. He knocks over a guy. You beat his head in with a baseball bat, and you're just like, "Ah, I knew they were there the whole time." <laughs> because of course you did, because they each killed you 14 times before that. <laughs> but that last run just looks so good. <laughs> and you never like 
think of it as looking good because you've died after the first five steps so many times that they cease to be accomplishments in your mind. Right. <laughs> you just keep going through the loops. But if you showed if you showed that final run to a stranger, they'd be like, "You're you're a fucking incredible video you're game player." You're a badass player. new guy. <laughs> But I think all of that is is very intentional in terms of, like, uh, how the aesthetic ends up looking. The other thing, obviously, that we haven't talked about yet, somehow, is uh, the music. It's just typically, like, the first thing anyone brings up when they talk about this game. Uh, And it is incredible. Like, um, the one fun fact about the music that I wanted to tell you, uh, because of what you brought up earlier, Mm -hmm. uh, was... The way that they actually, the music for this game was made, uh, while I'm not 100% sure that everything in the game was found this way, um, in fact, there are a couple of levels. There's like there's a track that's actually called Hotline Miami, or it's called Hotline, uh, which I imagine was made for the game. But the developers actually just found some songs on like SoundCloud, and we're like, we like this song, and they sent an email... And the guy on the other end was like, oh, what a good... Yeah. He needs this. Nobody likes my music. (laughs) I'm on SoundCloud. Yeah. And so they found a whole bunch of, like, independent DJs and, like, producers and stuff. So people like uh, the ones... uh, Perturbator, Moon, I don't remember half of the other people. Jasper Byrne, actually, uh, wrote a couple of songs for this... uh, game, and he also went on to develop a game, I believe also published under Devolver, called Lone Survivor, uh, which has a really similar uh, soundtrack to it, though very, very different tone. Uh, but yeah, like it's, it's kind of insane that this soundtrack, which is so cohesive and fits together so perfectly well, mm-hmm. was just assembled from like pre-existing tracks yeah. that I were was, licensed. I was especially surprised by that, because it took me like four or five stages to even notice that each stage had different music. <laughs> <laughs> like at first the music all sounded really samey to me before like I... Settled into it, I guess. Dude, I was I was probably popping. too, like, engrossed in the mechanics and trying not to suck <laughs> before I could fully enjoy the music. There was a brief period of time in the early levels where I was trying to beat the game in tune with the songs. That got right. dropped pretty fast, but no, like... like the, you were trying to play Hotline Mam as if it was Crypt of the Necrodancer? Exactly. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> Plus items, though. Oh, God, that sounds so hard. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's harder? Being a DJ named Moon. That sounds yeah. very hard. It does. It's, it's like, like M... It sounds like a pretty good DJ name, honestly. <laughs> I forget if it's... I think it's like M space O space O space N instead of just, like, the word Moon. Oh, well, never so mind So it could be, then. like, M-O-O-N could be his DJ name. I'm not, Moon, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry, dude. I don't know what your name is supposed to be. If you spelled it with underscores, he's clearly the coolest guy. So it's please, possible. never mind my complaints about Moon. In fairness, his songs are super good. They are very good. Also, like everything in this game is super good. There are very few tracks that I actually just don't like generally. And this isn't the type of music that I normally listen to outside of of this context, you know. Yeah. But Hotline Miami soundtrack, absolutely. Like, it's made it onto my regular rotation. Uh, it's just good shit. Might make it onto my regular rotation. Yeah. Like, and we need to, like, get pumped. Yeah. 
I've had yeah. a weird upswing in like I want to do dance music <laughs> things recently. So the one with like all the squeaks is probably going to get in there. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, that's hydrogen. Okay, I'm saying that's like. Uh, it also, doing dance music things is dancing. There's a there's already a word for that. <laughs> no, I want to engage with the culture of dance music. Oh God! What do you mean? Oh God! <laughs> what's 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 wrong with the culture of dance music? I'm just imagining like a, uh, an EDM music festival where people like just go to a desert somewhere. <laughs> To do drugs. Look, baby steps, okay? Baby steps. Right. I'm not going to immediately start off at like Burning Man or something. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna work my way up with both the music and the drugs. Do you remember I right. uh I don't know what made me think of this, but uh you'll be forgiven for not remembering it, because I wish I didn't remember it. You remember Silent Raves? Yes. Uh, no. Oh god. I feel like it was like in like twenty ten or eleven or something. It was like you would like people would get together in like a public place and just listen to their iPod and like dance. Do you remember that it, episode of the IT crowd where they have an iPod party? Yes. That, it's, it's that. Okay. Alright. Now I understand. Yeah. That's incredibly weird. They all get their own music chat. Everyone gets the best rave they could have ever wanted. Uh let's take a break. Welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> I'm Chad Rutherman. And I'm Chad Rutherman. we're going to be talking about uh, the mechanics of a game called Hotline Miami. Ooh. So, I'm just like squeaking up a storm over here. Yeah. Alright, we're good. So, this game is mechanically rewarding as all hell. And I really want to... I'm Okay, so I know that, that Andy, you just played this game for the first time in your life. And based on the fact that you already owned the game, but didn't know it, I'm assuming <laughs> this is the first uh, time that you've played this game as well. Uh, well, A, I would like to... For cite, the record. Yeah, many prior instances of my life where I've forgotten a thing that I did despite dedicating hours to it. Uh, as, so it's not evidence that I'd never right. played Hotline Miami. What is evidence that I've never played Hotline Miami is that there were 13 minutes played on it on Steam. Gotcha. All right. So I looked at the menu once. Right. Saw the Russian text, and you were like, I don't get it. Yeah. yeah. Where's the patch? I thought I got the English version. <laughs> and then forgot and did something else. Right. Yeah. But yeah, this was my first time playing Hotline Miami. Yeah. So uh, I remember my first time playing this game pretty vividly. Um because it took me a billion years. Uh, like, <laughs> I kept getting to a part and getting frustrated and stopping playing and then, like, be sitting around and be bored or whatever, boot up Hotline Miami again, and then start playing, get maybe clear another level, and then be like, I feel accomplished, and now I go back to not playing this game. And I did that uh, for a while, like, a couple of... Of, like, months, maybe. Like, two or three months of just, like, one level at a time every couple of weeks or whatever. Uh, and so, at one point, I remember I got to the level where you... On the second floor of the level, there's the door that when you kick the door open, it explodes. Mm. And that was... I mean, that's a great moment. That's a cool level. However, uh, unrelated to that, that was just the level where the mechanic clicked with me. 
where I was like, I get this now. And I just, in one sitting, played from that level to the end of the game. Uh, and I was like, I just completely fell in love with it. I was bumping the soundtrack in the car. Uh, <laughs> you were bumping it? I was bumping it in the car. Uh, I, like, showed the game to, like, 95 different people, being like, you gotta play this. Only one of them really took to it. Your car needs some bumping. So. (laughs) So, all of that happened, and I just love the game, and it, whatever. But this game, the point of it, is that this game is actually just, it's pretty hard. It's a pretty hard game. It's definitely not, like, simple. Uh, So I was wondering kind of what your experiences were learning and getting used to this game. It's talking about the difficulty. I think it's a great example about how how people describe certain games as hard or difficult often has less to do with how difficult the thing that you're expected to do is and more with how much you're punished based on failing to do the thing. Right. Like because a version of Hotline Miami in which you saw a loading screen for 10 seconds in between every death <laughs> would be, like, legendary as this, like, ludicrously difficult experience. But instead, they just meat boyed it, and they just removed all of those barriers for your iteration time, and it didn't... You were able to just throw so many attempts at the game that no matter, no matter how much the game seems to demand perfection of execution of you, it doesn't matter, because you can keep trying to execute ceaselessly over and over again for hours. Yeah. Uh, and that lack of downtime is actually really key for making me l- get less frustrated with something, mm-hmm. uh, and, and something I definitely appreciated. This isn't even a you thing. Like As much as I would love to throw in talking about the Nightmare Headstone here, <laughs> like everyone, to a certain extent, can sympathize with that. Like We'd all enjoy, oftentimes, games better if, instead of, after you lose, you just are able to get back to the state that you were in before. See, I kind of have the opposite. Like, I think I might be, like, a weird outlier here. But, like, a game like this where, like, I like the iteration time is, like, instant, it's more de- frustrating deaths immediately back-to-back, and it ends up making <laughs> me, like, more mad than a game where I'd have to walk back to her. I was with, like... Like, I had this, like, with Hyper Light Drifter. And if I was, like, stuck on a boss and just, like, died to it, like, super fast, like, nine times in a row, I'm like, well, fuck this. Uh, Time to do something else. (laughs) You gotta listen to the loading screen, man. I guess. The game literally just tells you, stop caring about dying. But I I can't. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not... I'm not that type of... Type of person, I guess. You're not the throws themselves into danger with violent mutilation and no care for human life type yeah, of person yeah. that Hotline Miami really wants you to mm-hmm. be. Yeah, really, what it is in Hotline Miami, Jacket, you're playing as Joel from The Last of Us <laughs> as you lawnmower your way through human lives. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that it doesn't work. The lawnmower comparison? Part of the reason why that's one of the greatest things you've ever said uh, <laughs> is because in in The Last of Us there was all this like greenery coming up all over the place. Right. So you could, it was really easy to picture the human lives as themselves shrubbery that you were able to decimate. Right. But here it's like all like it's all like eighties dance clubs and shit. There's no greenery. There's yeah. just rhetory. You you and revelry. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. That was the greatest thing I ever said, even though JJ is the one that said it. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I'll take credit for that now. <laughs> uh, no, okay, so one note that I did have on the difficulty um, is that I feel like this game doesn't actually have like a, a curve. Like, it doesn't curve out. It just is hard. <laughs> and it's the game is not about learning mechanics or learning uh, like your play style or whatever. It is for a couple of levels, yeah. but it's mostly about learning levels. It's learning your your paths and the executions. So if you spend your early levels learning the mechanics, there's really not anything new introduced through the whole game up until uh, like fat guys. But they're even introduced. By like in the middle of part two, uh, so mechanically speaking, you know what's going on, and all the levels are basically the same in 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 terms of you know layouts are all expected. Like nothing really surprising happens, barring that exploding door, uh, and I guess glass. I don't I don't think you're being fair to yeah, how I... much the masks can change your iterations. Oh, that's very true. I, I, I mostly mean, like, the actual layouts of the levels and things don't change too much, so it allows you to adapt your playstyle to it, but it doesn't curve in the way that a game would normally curve. The only thing that really gets harder is sometimes there are longer sight lines and there are more enemies in places. So yeah, I think, I completely disagree and think this game definitely has a difficulty curve and it got harder as it went. <laughs> All right, disagree with everything, Andy Kenick. <laughs> Let's see what your disagreement today is. Maybe I think that was it. Right yeah, that was it. That was. Oh God, yeah. JJ. Well, for reference, I agree. Uh, not totally. <laughs> no, not nearly that extremely. But uh, it was. There were a couple of spikes for me uh, that made it not the continuous uptick, mm-hmm. and one of them that I remember forever being the police station. And how much I hate cops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The police station levels... I think the, the police station level uh, is difficult, but I think that the optimal strategy in that level makes me hate the level for a totally different reason. What, what because is that? the optimal strategy is to just funnel everybody into the first hallway and just be like blah 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 and then they keep coming you grab a new thing you're like blah 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 and then if you die you just do it again and so it's basically like just a full however long it takes you of holding mouse one and you're just like well maybe I'll win this time (laughs) that's how I did that level basically but I, I lured as many people as I could to the door and killed them with the door like if you popped out of that door and then went back in, like, one guy would come up to check it out, like, each time. And so like, there's just, like, a pile of bodies in front of that door. And then, yeah, the rest of them, you just kind of shoot them all down. Right. See, that is how I addressed 80% of levels in this game, and it really hurt my engagement, I think. Oh, yeah, it's a major it thing that did. I wanted to talk about. The, the, one that, the thing that I think this game wants you to do, and you can go into how you played it like a fucking madman... Mad <laughs> Uh, Because I've seen two different people play through this game in its entirety, uh, myself and my friend Mark. And when I played it initially, and I've experimented with other things, obviously you don't play exactly the same way nine times in a row, but uh, the first time that I played it I was very like, I only used melee weapons and I played like it was a stealth game, so I would go in to each room 
and t- and tackle it like on a room by room basis and be like, you need to kill these people, need to kill these people, and so I target people with guns, throw weapons at them, do whatever. Um, but I almost never shot a gun the whole time that I played. Uh, so that was that, and then I saw Mark play it, and he just kind of like. <laughs> like gunned everything down, uh, and and that's actually kind of how I played this time. But um, you made yourself an elephant who made elephant noises. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was using an elephant gun, uh, like a blunderbuss. Um, uh, actually, though, uh, I think what the game wants you to do uh, is some combination of that, where you're. You can, like, recon levels by running around the buildings beforehand and, like, seeing what things, like, where things were, using your shift ability or whatever, and try and make a plan. But I don't think the game wants you to do that. I think the game wants it to be, like, a only moderately controlled panic, where you're just sprinting through and being like, oh, that guy, <laughs> well, the guy saw me, throw a bat at him, and, like, run over there. And uh, that always ends up being the most enjoyable levels, are the ones where something goes horribly wrong immediately, (laughs) (laughs) and then you somehow make it out by just, like, sheer twitch reflexes and incredible luck. That's why it's so good that they made the guns make noise. Right. And a version of Hotline Miami in which there wasn't some kind of, like, faux alert system right. where people come after you at the hyper speed everything in this game moves at would be a way more boring experience like 80% of the experiences that I had because I don't have the reaction time <laughs> to actually deal with that circumstance and the game takes a lot of steps to try and lower the like barrier of entry to that mad cocaine fueled mayhem style that the game clearly wants you to play as and the biggest part of that is the instantaneous iteration time. But the fact that there is almost no penalty for doing something wrong does not make it easier for you to try and go through the level as the crazy cocaine guy. Like, it, like the fact that it's you can just keep throwing yourself over and over again and essentially play the game like you're rolling the dice on each life <laughs> if yeah. you wanted to doesn't make that, at least in my play experience, like the optimal strategy where optimal is defined as not even necessarily the fastest way to get through the game, but like a guaranteed way to get through oh, the yeah. game. Oh, yeah, no, not at all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think they want that to just be a thing that happens every now and then. Like, where, like, you're trying to do something and something goes wrong, and then you, like, by some miracle make it through by just, like, randomly gunning everybody. Yeah. And they they give uh, enemies, like, randomized weapons. There will be random pickups on the ground. Yeah, and, like, sometimes the AI will, like, be weird and do, like... (laughs) Do, like, a bonkers thing? Really weird, yeah, pathing or whatever. That's a side effect of the fact that this game was made in Game Maker. So, like, sometimes you'll see, like, a guy... If you bump a door slightly... Yeah. uh, The doors are... Doors are such a thing in this game. Uh... (laughs) The doors, if they're, like, a little bit open, just a little little crack, a little baby crack, and a guy approaches the door, 
all mayhem has the potential to break loose. Because he can swing that door back the other way and, like, knock another dude over. He could just fall over because the door was a little bit open and thought there was some momentum going on. He can clip through the door and make it swing wildly left and right over and over again. Or he could just see that the door is a little bit open and then change his path completely and walk outside. And that's the kind of, like, weird random element that makes it, like, totally possible that you're just going to get, like, a shotgun to the face immediately because some guy was just like, oh, this is open. <laughs> yeah, I had that experience all, a number of times. The one that sticks out to me worst of all, and I think it might be the single one, like, map, open quotes, uh, that I tried the most times to complete. Uh, I don't even remember. It was, like I think, 11, maybe? Uh, it was one of the ones that had lots and lots and lots of levels within one larger level. And this one had, I believe, like, four square rooms that were themselves in a larger square room so that there was, like, one in each corner and you could, like, go around and in between them. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. The amount of, like, door madness <laughs> that was always introduced in the way that I went through there. I could, I could like, consistently predict maybe the first, like, five or six guys and then after that, because of the amount of doors that I always opened, killing those first six, right. it was just complete adaptation from there. <laughs> My strategy for that level... Uh, so one thing that, like, it actually took me, like, two playthroughs to even realize this, largely because I didn't use guns very much in my first playthrough, but when you fire a gun, it brings enemies to the location that the gun was fired, so if you get the fuck out of there, they'll just show up, be like, oh, nobody here, and then go back to their patrol. So, on that level, I just made, because the way that level's set up is it has basically they have L-shaped walls on the corners of the rooms and then glass walls on the other sides. So I just, like, ran literal laps around the room, just, like, like shooting a guy through the glass and then just bolting out of there and then trying to clean up the people who are following me, which are usually, like, dogs and, like, a dude with a, uh, like, a nightstick or whatever. Yeah. Uh, that's a really fun level. Like, in retrospect, I'm a big fan of that one. Yeah. Because it forces you to do the fun thing in this game mechanically, which is plan for a certain extent and then adapt to when those plans necessarily go wrong. Mm -hmm. The the more that this game can force you not to do the thing that I did a bunch, which was messing up, shooting someone, and then going like, and then going into a corner beside a door and then just sitting there with my shotgun (laughs) waiting for everyone to come because of the subsequent shotgun shots that I would use to kill the guy who came to the door. Yeah, probably the biggest turning point for me where that actually allowed me to make the game a little bit more fun than that sort of rut that I kept getting into uh, was when I found the Snake Man mask uh, that makes your throws lethal because that just essentially just gives you like one use silent guns all over the place. Right. And and that makes it cool and full of strategery, but I miss throws a lot, so. That's, uh, I guess, okay. Because I'm more interested in hearing about your, uh, uh, like experiences with the game, I guess, uh, than my own, I guess, obviously. Um, but I know that you did the exact same thing that I did my first playthrough, which was rely pretty heavily on the Don Juan mask. Yeah. Lethal doors just seem like the best. It is incredible. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's usually the mask that I'll take on, like, my first time through a level, just because it's like. It's guaranteed. Yeah. The only other mask I would really ever use was the dog one, because dogs are super annoying. They're yeah. very annoying, and Shelties are very not annoying. Mm-hmm. 
But uh, my strategy ended up being, like, probably what a lot of people do, which is, like, scope out, like, the next room and, like, try and kill one of the guys with the door. And then if I could, like, throw the gun at the guy and then jump on top of him and kill him. Like, trying to kill as many people as I could without shooting. And then if I had to shoot a guy, being from a distance and then fleeing back and hiding and, you know, slowly making my way through like that. Mm -hmm. So... I, yeah, I think that that is... I, I want to say that's got to be, like, a common strategy. I was a little bit afraid that both of you would end up playing this game slightly too contemplatively. I think I was right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, the masks add a ton of variety uh, to either subsequent playthroughs or just if you want to restart and try with a different mask because, like, whatever you're wearing doesn't work. I always settled on... Either Don Juan or uh, the Grasshopper mask, where you start with the drill. What but does that even do? It's just a. It's just gross, and that's why I liked it. You, <laughs> you can like uh, get on top of somebody when they're on the ground and just like and drill right into their skull, and it just like makes blood shoot everywhere, mm. and you get extra points for it. <laughs> Not really doing a whole lot on the uh, not looking like a sociopath in the front. <laughs> no. You set yourself back for, like, several podcast minutes. <laughs> but the game does uh, encourage the style of play that we were talking about before because its scoring system is pretty heavily based on being, like, a reckless asshole. Mm -hmm. You're, you get points for what they call exposures, which is where people see you. Uh, and come after you, and then like your combos and stuff, which are have a really tight window. I think it's like four seconds or maybe less between kills in order to continue combos. So it makes it really difficult to get like a full combo of a level or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like I'm good at this game, but I'm not good at the combo aspect of this game. Like I can survive levels, but I'm not great at. Uh, like maximizing points. Yeah. Like the score screen even has a section for like boldness. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. it, it does not, if you want to be the, the perfect Hotline Miami player, like there's there's not going to be a whole lot of thinking going on. Yeah. As is the case with most speedruns, come to think of it, but this mm -hmm. game accents that even more. The, the game tries to make relatively explicit to you that you're not playing like a postal guy in the early levels which, like narratively speaking like you were saying Andy before that, like it's unclear whether or not you opted into the circumstance mm -hmm. but even if you did or didn't because uh, you end up like throwing up at the end of the first level of the game after all the nastiness that you did right it makes it pretty clear that like you are in some respect a human being capable of like empathy and humanization of these people that you've slaughtered yeah it's a uh... It is something the game tries to get across. Uh, at first, I didn't understand what you meant by postal guy. You mean the guy from the game Postal. No, not not a post Not worker. a post worker, right, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I believe his, his, his canon name is is his postal dude. Wait, so, there's a postal worker in Hotline Miami? No, no, no. Po in the game Postal. Oh, there's the, a postal dude. The guy who is, like, the main character's mm -hmm. name is Postal Dude. Mm -hmm. That's a shit game, by the way. Don't don't ever yeah. play that game. It's pretty garbage. It's a game that has a movie that Yule Bowl made, <laughs> Yeah, it's a Yule Bowl movie. Yeah, it's a pretty strong indicator for the shitness of associated media. Well, that's not entirely true, because Yule Bowl made the, the Hitman movie. Well, Hitman's a good property. Hitman was an okay property until, like, the last... 
three years. Uh, Not bad. Okay. All right, whatever you want, man. I don't have any more notes about this game, actually. Yeah. I assume you don't either? Not really. Oh. I haven't gotten a sense yet of how much you liked or you disliked this game, Andy. Um... I get I I liked the game, um, but I get the impression from like everyone else I've heard talk about it, including you guys and every like all the videos I watched on it, that I like this game a lot less than a lot of other people seem to. Like people usually talk really highly of this game, and I really liked it, but like I compare it a lot to like Super Meat Boy, uh, and I think that's a better game personally. Um, it's like a a similar level of challenge in, like, the way it's, like, designed at the similar iteration times and everything. Uh, the things I think that I disliked about it were, um... That it wasn't a mascot platformer? Yeah, it wasn't a mascot platformer. <laughs> right. A 2D... But you do... Retro platformer. 2D indie retro. Uh, th- this game does have animal masks, though. It does have animal masks. So you could masks. pretend like you were a mascot platformer. That's true. There, were, there wasn't, like, a bandicoot mask. <laughs> <laughs> Was there a raccoon mask? There actually, I think, maybe... What? I don't remember. Are bandicoots in reality? Uh, they're like a shitty little rodent. Yeah, like from Australia or whatever. Yeah. Do they have like a cool fucking face? Which is, uh, no. Oh. They don't look that much like the Crash, like, crash Bandicoot actually, yeah. actually looks. Oh. I guess they just they, I guess Bandicoot. They do all wear jeans though. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. yeah, and they love um, those fruits that he loves so much. Well, I was wondering Furniture. if you had the things Apples about the game that he specifically disliked. Uh, I didn't know if this was, like, a specific to uh, the Mac version or not, but, like, moving the cursor, like, towards the bottom or the top of the screen would, like, bring up, like, the toolbar at the bottom of the screen or, like, up at the top. It would, like, pop up the top bar of the window. I saw that happen. I think that like is a one, Mac-specific problem. One time I accidentally, like, launched Photoshop while <laughs> I was playing. Uh, so that was, like, one of, the, one of the only, like, really annoying things that happened to me. Um... And one other very specific thing that I was going to bring up, uh, that's a bandicoot, ladies and gentlemen. You can't see it. Yeah. yeah. This is a bandicoot. I, mean, I encourage you to Google it on your own time so that you can have the same sort of, like, insulted look on your face that <laughs> anyone would attempt to pass that thing off as our beloved mascot, Crash. <laughs> and uh, I had one other thing that I was going to bring up while we were talking about the presentation but decided not to because I didn't want to sound like douchey. Okay. Pretentious. But like... <laughs> but here we go. <laughs> but here we go. I actually think like this game is ugly as sin. Like, I really don't like the way this game looks and specifically the color palette. Like, I appreciate the idea behind what they were going for, which is they wanted to create like dissonance with the color palette to like make you feel bad right. while you were playing it, like to add to the tone. But I think the execution of it is just bad. Like, I think, like, they really botched what they were going for and just ended up making, like, ugly and bad color choices. (laughs) (laughs) To be clear, you're not talking about a general disdain for, like, 80s color madness in itself. You're thinking that this specific iteration of 80s color madness is shitty? Yes. Actually... I like, I think 80s color madness is fine. I think they didn't capture that well. In this game. I think what happened here, uh, and I actually do kind of agree with you, I, I, it just doesn't bother me, 
at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so take take anything that I say with that as this is not like a learned criticism, uh, given like how little I know or care about like color choices most of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I I have to agree that like. I think they wanted everything, like, the backgrounds, like, the street, as it would be, is always pulsating, like, teal and magenta, Mm -hmm. and so it's just, like, this, like, constant, uh, pulsing bright colors outside, Mm -hmm. and then your score is flashing, and the combos are flashing, and they were like, we now have to put a game on this screen... <laughs> that you can see everything that's going on without any cer- uncertainty. And so they were like, uh, how about just like brown lines? <laughs> and like, and then just, they were, and then I guess they, like, they needed more colors, so they just slapped greens and like weird oranges all over the place. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they, all of the characters are just white. With a bald head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I think it's an okay <laughs> game design decision, but I think it's, like, a super gross aesthetic decision. Mm-hmm. Which, honestly, like, once you paint up the place with a little bit of blood and brain matter, <laughs> it actually looks a lot better. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, think of something like Hyperlight Drifter, which has, like, a great use of color, and it's, like, jewel tones and, like, this darker, almost kind of, like, 80s colors. Right. And how much more, like, pleasant and well-reasoned and, like, looking that is <laughs> in comparison to this. No question, <laughs> uh, comparing any video game aesthetically to Hyperlight Drifter is going to, especially any pixel art game, uh, someone else is going to come out on the, the bottom end of that comparison. Uh, and I even agree that... This game is just a cacophony of gaudy hideousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought that was also intentional because yeah, I mean, the game makes you feel gross constantly, that, even looking at it. That's like, like even my... when you're talking about it and you're sweating profusely <laughs> yeah. in, the, in the summer. I mean, heat. that was yeah, like what I was trying to get at is like yeah, it is an intentional choice. I just think they executed it poorly. By like, because like I feel like there's the concept of dissonance. I don't know if you know what that is, like in music and in art and other things. I bet our listeners don't either, Andy. Which is where you put two things together that don't normally go together to specifically create like a like a pairing that is off. Right. And it's like it takes someone who is like knows a lot and is very good at composing music or good at like a good designer or something to actually employ that well I think in a, some, in a way that makes sense. I, I think some really good artistic examples of that are like uh, Freddy Krueger's design I think is really like has that because he's wearing that like gaudy sweater mm-hmm. uh, like that's like a children's sweater and then like his fucked up like burn victim face mm-hmm. and uh, the Black Lodge in Twin Peaks which uh, neither of you have Twin seen. Twin Peaks is full of that kind of but stuff. But yeah, <laughs> Twin Peaks is full stuff of that Stuff that feels like it feels a little bit off but not quite. Like yeah. that's the kind of like it's this perfect zone where you have to know what you're doing to pull off. And that's what they tried to do in this game, to make you feel uncomfortable, and they just were not able to do it correctly. Mm-hmm. So you didn't think that the game was aesthetically uncomfortable then? You were just, like, you were yeah, looking at the was, colors and I thought it was just ugly. And boring. <laughs> yes. Okay. I'm certainly not going to argue with you about color theory or other things <laughs> that I know nothing about. 
Yeah, I mean, my argument uh, for it is that while I agree that it, it doesn't look particularly great, I think that it does accomplish the goal that maybe you don't think that it does. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it accomplishes the goal, it particularly because they don't change anything about it in 2. And I remember I played 2 in like a, a 4 hour sitting and then like an 8 hour sitting. And at the end of my second sitting, like I couldn't see regular colors properly. <laughs> like it was just so, like everything was so loud uh, that like just looking around at like anything that was drab or or monocolored would like hurt my eyes. <laughs> you looked around and you perceived the world as just a, a dull gray void. Some well, no, it's like a strobing horrible void. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna assume that, that constitutes Andy's final thoughts here. Uh, yeah, it probably makes me sound a bit too negative on the game. Like <laughs> I thought it was really good. I. I feel like I just don't think it's as great as a lot of other people do. My question is, did you find it fun? Yeah. Okay. I I enjoyed the game. Yeah. Thought it was a good game. I could see myself replaying it if I had more time. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I did thoroughly enjoy it. I just didn't think it was quite on the level that a lot of other people seem to think it is. Uh, In my case, I thought it was pretty, like, tonally miraculous, but mechanically not really for me. I think it deserves the praise, but I'll probably never touch it or the sequel again. And just let all you crazy Hotline Miami people go over into your corner and be happy with the thing that you're happy with. And I'll have, like, telepath tactics or something. <laughs> uh, I gotta say, uh, if you if you played this game to listen to this podcast, or if you've played this game before but just never picked up uh, Wrong Number... You probably you probably skip it. Uh, Hollow Miami Two is not super good. Um, it takes a lot of the problems that the first game has and exacerbates them, which it seems like you would recognize your faults and sort of try and track back on them. But we uh, like Hollow Miami Two features way longer sight lines and a plot that makes less sense and is more convoluted, and also you don't get to pick masks every level because like every three levels or every level sometimes you change characters and so you're like a different person who has a different set of abilities and really only like two of them are any fun to play it like in comparison to whatever else uh and it gives you unnecessary backstory that you don't need on beard and jacket uh and then in the end everyone dies so (laughs) Uh, whatever with that. Yeah, we've spoiled the ending. Everyone dies now. So, yeah. haha. As if you were expecting game. anything else. Like, <laughs> Hollow Miami 1, everyone who is represented on screen dies except Biker. Unless, like Andy, you don't kill all of the employees of the phone hum building. <laughs> right. No, no. Phone hum? It's, it's like, like HOM. Or is it, it's not, unless it's phone mom and I was misreading no, no, it. I, I'm not misreading it, I, I just always, even though it didn't have the E, I just pronounced it as phone home. It's like a tea joke oh, right. that I assume is like going to be like the thing the corporate guy would name and like H-O-M is an abbreviation for something we don't care about. So I just pronounced it phone home. Or maybe the E fell off the, the front of the building or something. Right. One example, like a logo on the floor, too. Oh, it says home. It's, yeah. I refuse to accept that someone just like, would you like today like to accept the services of phone home? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I think you're one hundred percent right. I think I can only ever think of it as phone hum <laughs> because of how dumb it is. Either way, you can choose not to kill the like employees of Phone Hum <laughs> walking around. As biker. Right, as biker. Uh, but if you choose to kill all of them, I'm pretty sure there's literally not someone who shows up on the screen who doesn't die. Because, like, Jacket dies, Biker actually dies. Yeah, yeah. you kill him. Everyone that you talk to dies, your girlfriend dies, all the enemies die. The SWAT team. They don't die. <laughs> they don't die. The, the, uh, Unless they're the same people who are in the police department right. later. In oh, they're case, totally they the die. same people. Then they right, do die. Yeah. So everyone dies in every hotline. What about, again. there's like, one of the times you're back at the house in between levels, there's like a big black dude there at your sink. He's already dead, though. His eye is impaled. Oh, yeah, uh, the, he's a hallucination, yeah. Oh, he's just a hallucination. But, of the guy that you killed. Yeah, he's, in fact, dead at the time. Uh, right. <laughs> I could have swore, like, I talked to him and he said something. Yeah, you probably said, alive. like, get away from me or yeah, something. He, he yeah. said, like, get, get the fuck out of my face. I was right. missing an eye and right. like, a blood hole. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. All right, then. What about your hallucinations? Do they count? I don't know if they count. Because uh, they were never alive. If they do count... Then they die when you die. There's so, gotta be yeah. like there are people like in the pizza shop and stuff sometimes, like in between levels. They all die. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh yeah, well, when you go back and you're hallucinating, all those people are represented oh, as yep. corpses. Yep. yep. And it, some of the people that are in the background are actually later people. Like the guy with the rat mask shows up. He's like, he's, I think he's the guy vomiting in the sink or something. Okay. Uh, and he dies. Okay, never mind. You're right. They're all dead. Yeah. Everyone dies. Well, I think we cracked the code. <laughs> I didn't even think about this until just now. <laughs> Everyone always dies. Uh, That's the we never talked about the boss fights. Boss oh. fights? What boss fights? Yeah. Like there with two. With a biker and with the dude with the Panthers and the ninja girlfriend. Oh, yeah. completely, like, wrote and totally unmentionable? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What's interesting about what they did? I think the biker fight is pretty, like, normal as far as, like, a, a boss fight goes because all it is is you just have to avoid attacks using, like, the weird rubber banding mechanic mm -hmm. until he throws a knife and then you kill him. But I actually kind of, on, like, replay, as much as I didn't like it originally, the, like, final boss guy, mm -hmm. who is, uh, like, the old man in the chair, in retrospect, is kind of cool that it actually forces you to, like, learn a strategy as opposed to, like, just being faster at killing than he is. Because, like, you do have to, like... You have to do what you normally do with the with, with dogs, with the jaguars, because you just back away from them and swing, because you can always hit them with your longer range. And then, uh, like, you have to throw the thing at the girl, and then you have to take cover as you run out to grab things and throw them at the guy. And it's really difficult the first time you do it. But I like that it's, like, different. I don't like that you listen to his speech over and over again. Yeah. It's only different if you weren't already constantly doing that, which is the <laughs> thing that I was doing for 80% of the game. And if it doesn't have the benefit of being a difference in kind, like, how many times in video game history have I hidden beyond, have I hidden behind, like, a piece of, like, furniture or environmental stuff while bullets came shooting at me, and then I waited until the bullets stopped shooting and then popped out and did a thing and then got back into cover. Right, like a billion times, but how many times do you do that in Hotline Miami? Like, almost never. You. You almost never. 
Did you wait until people ran out of ammo? Oh, yeah. your I don't know if I ever described what? what my actual strategy was. It wasn't ammo. I didn't even know they had ammo. They, yeah, uh, I they would pop out of ammo. a door, shoot a guy, and then pop back in behind the door because they always made them with corners. So I would just hide behind the corner and then I'd, shit, then I'd just sit there while other people ran because they heard the shotgun shells. And I would always kill them because I was standing to their right as they walked through the door. And I created the corpse pile. And that was like my go-to... Like what you do in Huntland, Miami, after I figured out that that was the thing that you could do and what didn't have the reaction time to other things. Well, hmm. I don't know how you had any fun with this game at all. Because the tone was really, really sweet. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening to Nicholas this week. What are we talking about next time? Next time, uh, we're going to be switching gears a bit and talking about Metroid Prime. Yes. Uh, so. Uh, get ready for that. Maybe being a week late because Splatoon 2 comes out. <laughs> Man, the next couple of weeks are really going to be like a return to Hom for me. <laughs> Until next time. Until next time, you can get a hold of us at our on our Hom page <laughs> at nerdclippodcast.com. Uh, All of our contact information is there. You can find us on YouTube. Just, you know, find us on shit. It's really, it's nice. It's pretty easy. Yeah, we got yeah. like a Twitter and shit. I need to get home. Yeah. I need to turn on the AC so that I can warm up my... You can cool down your home. <laughs> cool down my home. <laughs>
Gross. Or bake its blood into confectionaries. Baking blood. If this episode turns out to be as short as I think it's going to be, yeah. this extended outro where we talk about what food it is, totally going in. Yeah. Yeah.